Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that sometimes can seem like it's a cliche, but it's not. It is something that is not always easy because we are people that are used to, really that are used to kind of doing things on our own. We're used to making decisions on our own. We kind of grow up. And you remember it being said all the time that at least the world's way of thinking is look out for number one. How many of you have ever heard that phraseology? We're going to talk this morning about trusting God. And we're going to lay something into you this morning. I think that's going to be very helpful to you uh, as relates to trusting God. And like I said a moment ago, trusting God is better said than done. All of us would like to say to some extent that we trust God. Everybody can say, you know what, I'm, I'm trusting God for something. You know, we believe in God for our family. We believe in God for our jobs. We believe in God for health. We believe in God for healing. We believe in God that our children are telling. We believe in God for a whole lot of things. But there are those times in your walk with God that there's this kind of hidden side to God whereby you do all the things that you know to do, you, you pray, you, you read your Bible, uh, you know, you, you, you come to church and, and, and you invest your time, your energy and talents into the kingdom of God. And, and, and you do all the things you think you're supposed to do. And then you're believing God for something and things don't happen. Uh, it seems like perhaps that God is distant someplace. Like the heavens are brass and God isn't listening to you. How many of you have ever been there? We just kind of felt like. You've been praying. You've been seeking God. You've been trying to hear what it is God wants you to do, and you find yourself confused. You find yourself just kind of saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? It is in those moments, if we don't know how to handle those moments, that we can find ourselves getting angry, frustrated at God. Now, no one would dare ever say that at least not verbally, I'm angry at God. How many of you have ever said, God, I'm angry at you? You wouldn't do that. But yet, you know, sometimes, you know, that can happen. You know, we can become frustrated and angry at God because, you know, God just won't talk to us. In fact, you read the book of Job. Job is a book that when I first became a believer, I used to, read that. I used to hate to read that book because I was afraid that the things that happened to Job might come on me. So that was one of the books I would always try to avoid because the Bible says that there was none as righteous as Job. Job was a man of honesty, integrity. Job had it all. But, but it came a point in time that God said, okay, Job, he, he allowed the enemy to come and, and take everything away from Job. He wiped Job out completely, took his family, his properties, everything. And even as bad as all that was with Job, the one thing that bothered Job more than anything else. Notwithstanding what had happened to him with, with you losing everything, that was bad enough, but the thing that really bothered Job the, the most was God would not talk to him. He said, oh, I wish that I could ascend to the heaven. He said, oh, I wish that I could have a face-to-face chat with God. And that book ends up, basically, God just kind of rebuking Job for three chapters about, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And Job had to get a revelation real quick. And there, there, that's sometimes it's a thing that happens with us. Sometimes we, we have the question, we wonder, God, what are you doing? God, how come you're not talking to me? 
we often think, at least I often think to myself, how wonderful, you know, it would be if God just kind of told you right from the beginning his whole plan. He just kind of mapped it out and said, okay, here's what's going to happen with your life. And he just kind of told you every little single step and you knew in advance. I wonder and I think of, I mean, what do you guys, how do you guys, what do you guys think about that? Would you be excited about that if God just kind of told you every single thing? Somebody said, uh-uh. In reality, we probably wouldn't be able to handle it. We wouldn't be able to handle it, really. But that's sometimes the way that we act, isn't it? Ah, oh, God, you know, just kind of let me know what's going on. That's why the Bible says that the just shall live by what? Faith. So the reason why he says the just shall live by faith is because God is saying, you're going to have to trust me and you're going to have to believe that whatever it is that you're experiencing, whatever it is that you're going through, you're going to have to believe that I am in control of your life and I am going to work it out for you. And that is easier said sometimes than done. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Hallelujah. That's okay. Let the baby let me cry. And so what that simply means is this. God thinks on a whole entirely different plane than what we think on. When God says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways, understand this, that the first thing that you got to come to reality about is you and God don't think alike. So the way that you think things are supposed to shape up, the way that you think things are supposed to go, guess what? More times than not, it's not going to turn out that way. Now, if you get that deep down into your spirit, you won't get so frustrated when you, can, when you miss God or when God don't respond the way that you want him to respond. So when he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways, then right off the bat, here's what you need to be saying. Okay, none of this is going to make sense to me. How I many you know that sometimes God requires things from you and of us that does not make sense? You can sit there and you can try to figure it out. And sometimes, you, Lord, how am I supposed to love somebody who treated me that way? How am I supposed to forgive somebody after what they did to me? Lord, I mean, how am I supposed to give when I'm in need myself? It doesn't make sense. This, I mean, this, none of this makes sense. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to grow in your faith with God, one of the things you got to wrap your arms around is, you know what? I'm going to have to just hunker down and just do what God tells me to do, even if it doesn't make sense to my natural mind. It has to do with the issue of trust. Trust. That's what it has to do with. And so you're at Proverbs chapter number three. And we'll read this verse together. Are you all ready? I think it may be posted on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want everybody to read with me. Are you ready? Because I want us to get this deep down in our spirits. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Wow. Now, let's deal with this. It says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. When he speaks of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, that speaks of total abandonment. Now, that goes against our natural thinking. But when you totally abandon yourself to God, here's what you're saying in essence. 
God, I'm going to give over to you my life, my career, my plans, everything that I am. Lord, I am going to give it all over to you. I am going to trust you, Lord, completely and fully. See, trusting in the Lord means total abandonment. That means that you're just saying, you know what? I'm going to put all my eggs in this one basket. And that's scary, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, when our kids are small, you, I said, put my kids up on, let stand them up on the counter. I'm not recommending that you do this. And I would say to them, jump. And they look at me, and eh, they didn't want to, because I had to catch them, you know, and I say jump. And they like, uh, and then I, and they wanted me to come a little bit closer because they was a little bit afraid that if they jump, you know, that I might, daddy might not catch them. And I say, come on, jump, jump, jump. And finally, they'll go ahead and they'll take that jump, and they're happy, and I'm happy, like, yay, daddy got you. It's kind of like what God is doing with us. God says to us, I want you to jump. You might be a little bit nervous. But go ahead, step out on the edge, and I want you to jump, and I want you to trust me. And what we do sometimes, he says, Lord, I understand the word, I understand all that, but I'm not quite ready to take that jump yet. And when we don't take the jump, who does it hurt most? Is it God or us? That's right. Because we know God's plan for us are good. God have a plan for our lives that is, that is just marvelous. But in order for God's full plan to manifest in our lives, then we have to first start with this principle. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with everything. I don't care what it, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. Kind of like the people in that video. You, you notice the, the free, how, how free they were when they finally they just start giving and they experience a little bit of God's grace. And they say, you know what? I'm going to go even further. I'm going to go even further. I'm going to go in even further than that. Why? What are we doing? We're building our faith to a point where we can say, Lord, I'm going to give you everything that I am. I'm going to take that jump. I'm scared to death. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because I know that your promise, your promises are good for my life. And you can believe in his word. He said, the second part of that verse, lean not on your own understanding. You ever heard people say, well, I can't understand God. And some people will tell you that the reason why they won't come to faith in God is because you know, uh, they're trying to reason in their mind. Well, you ever hear people say, well, where did God come from? You ever had to wrestle with people to think like that? I mean, how, how can God do this? How, how could God and Jesus be one and the same? And I mean, explain all that to me. You know, and I, and I marvel with that because the reason why he's God is because he's a lot larger than we are. There is no way that in our human capacity that, that we can comprehend the vastness of our God, the depth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. No human being can even touch it. That's why he is God. And he says for us to lean not on our own understanding. And he's giving you a warning. The reason why he don't want you to lean on your own understanding, because your own understanding is going to mislead you away from what God has for you. And you sit in there, you think to yourself, OK, this is, I got it all figured out. This is what I'm supposed to do. And, and you know what the word of God says. You've read it. You understand what his will is. But 
you find yourself falling back on your own understanding and in your own way of doing things. So he calls us to lean not to our own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. This walk is a walk of faith. And there are things that God's going to require of you that's never going to make sense. You, get, you just got to get it down in your spirit right now. Okay, it's not going to make sense. It's, I, I don't fully understand it, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and flow with this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 16. I'm going to show you uh, through the scripture of a person that we all are familiar with, Abraham. We're going to give you two examples. And when you lean on your own understanding what can happen, and then versus what can happen when you fully trust God. Genesis chapter 16, and I'll begin reading in verses 1 through 6. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So and so Abraham said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, Sarah here, she demonstrates a total lack of trust in God. Now, to give you a backdrop to this particular passage of scripture, God had promised Abraham some chapters back. He says that he said to Abraham, that I'm going to make you a mighty nation of people. He says, Abraham, that out of you, out of you, Abraham, all the families of the earth is going to be blessed. In fact, he said to Abraham, Abraham, if you can count the number of the stars, so shall your descendants be. So here it is, Sarah. You know, she's thinking, OK, I'm not getting any younger. And here it is. I'm in a place that it's been 10 years since God made that promise. And, you know, and when God and we believe God told us something, you know, we expect it to happen right away. Right. Ten years ago, Abraham had been hearing and Abraham had been telling his wife, sir, we're going to have a baby. We're going to do this and we're going and, and God's going to bless us. And he, we're going to be a mighty nation. And, and nothing is happening. So what does Sarah do? Sarah says, you know. I'm going to make things happen. If anybody ever tried to make something happen, hmm, you know, it ain't happening. You know, has God like ever not did something as quick as you would like him to do it? 
Have you ever felt like that? God, if you can just speed up a little bit, this might take care of the issue. And it seemed like God just like doesn't hear that. Uh, you remember the story of Martha and Mary when Lazarus had died? Jesus chilled for how many days? Four days. He showed up after four days. And when they got there, the first thing they said, one of the sisters said, the first thing she said, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had come when we first called you, my brother would be alive today. And we know the end of that story, right? Did God wake him up? So we sometimes, this, this, we'll, we'll, we'll do the same thing sometimes. You know, God, don't move quick enough for us. And then we begin to take issues into our own hand and we're going to force the issue. The problem with forcing the issue, if anything that is done by the flesh got to be sustained by the flesh. See, if you force the issue and you want to do something on your own because perhaps you're angry at God, you're frustrated at God, then the only problem with that is there'll be grace for that. Because I mean, you know, God is a graceful God. Because in this story, Ishmael is the son that is born. The problem with Ishmael, because, you know, obviously Abraham went into the uh, to her handmaiden and she conceived and they birthed Ishmael. The only problem was God. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for Isaac to be the promise, not Ishmael. And so Ishmael, although God God extended grace to Ishmael, that was not God's perfect will. I don't know about you. How many of you want to be in the sweet spot of God's will, God's perfect will? Because I think that so many of us are comfortable not getting God's best. We'll, we'll take the second. Oh, okay, that's fine. But I don't know about you. I want, I want what God, I want the best that God has for my life. And so Ishmael is birth. And everybody knows that, that the Jews are descendants of Abraham and the Ishmaelites come from the Arab people. And how many know the Arabs and the Jews have been in conflict even up to this day? Why? Because somebody got a little bit impatient and decided to force the issue. I wonder how many of you in here have ever tried to force the issue. Make a decision where you know in your heart that probably I should wait on God. But I don't know. I, I don't feel like waiting. I think I know a little bit better than God right now. I think I need to go ahead and make it happen. And then here's what we do. We force the issue, and then we say, <laughs> okay, God, now here it is. Now, you bless it, and you fix it. Make it work. You bring, God, now I've done it. Now, God, so we go force the issue. We get ourselves in trouble, and then we say, okay, God, here. Now, you do something with it. And then when God doesn't do something with it, then we get mad at God. Well, Pastor, I prayed. I don't know, God, nothing's happening. Well, was it an Ishmael or was it an Isaac? Birthing an Ishmael can cause you a whole lot of headaches because it's not God's perfect will for your life. And so what we find there is that Sarai and her impatience, and you got to believe that Abraham himself was impatient as well because he obeyed the voice of his wife. 
Because no doubt Abraham was thinking, well, you know, it has been over 10 years. This thing ain't happened yet. And for some of us, boy, we got to have it next week. Ten years. Ten years had gone by. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to show you an example of somebody who got crazy faith. How many know that Abraham got crazy faith? Abraham had the kind of faith. And I'm, can I be honest with you all this morning? And I hope you all take it in the right spirit. I hope you understand what I mean. Abraham had the kind of faith that it make you wonder if he had all, if, if his elevator went all the way to the top. Abraham's faith was so radical that it have to make you think, did this boy have it all together? Because it's no wonder that God calls him the father of our faith. But boy, if you study Abraham's life, Abraham did some stuff to be like, whoo, <laughs> boy. And, and Abraham came to a point in time in his life when God just spoke. He trusted God. He didn't, he didn't ask a question. He just said, okay. Now, I want you, if you're going to read Genesis, uh, we're going to kind of move along. Move, I want to read every verse here, but I'll read some of them here. In Genesis chapter number 22. Now, I want to, I want to kind of remind you of something here before we read. Abraham had waited from the time he got the promise to the time that Isaac came. It was 25 years. All right. I want you to get that in your spirit. From the time that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. From the time he made God the promise to the time that Isaac was born, it was 25 years. So here now, Abraham had been waiting a full 25 years for the manifestation of the promise that God had promised him. But now, look at what God is asking of Abraham. Verse number one. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, all right, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, okay, stop right there for a moment. Okay, how many years he been waiting? 25 years. Now, he's a teenager at this point, right? But for 25 years. He had been believing God. God's been telling Abraham about how the, I'm going to make nations are going to come out of you. Kings and, pri- and princes. And, and, and this, is the, this is the promised child. God looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, now take the son that you love. And it's like God was trying to make a point because he says, take your only son and the one that you love. See, the thing that was very precious to him. The thing that was most important to him. God says, Abraham, I want you to take that, and I want you to offer. And I tried to study this thing. I, I looked at it, and I thought, well, there got to be some verse in here where Abraham asked a couple questions. I mean, how many of you would probably ask God a couple questions? I mean, how many of you would probably be like, okay, God, I mean, first of all, I may start rebuking the devil at this point, because obviously something is not matching up here. But it says here in verse 3, look at this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, 
and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Wow. You talking about faith. <laughs> Abraham hears God say that. And instead of now, I would be I would be in a position at this point, I would be having a, me and God would be in some serious conflict. You know, something, something. I'll be telling my wife that you need, you need to call a psychologist because something is wrong. Something is happening. Abraham, he gets the donkey, he gets his boy up, get the wood, and he says, let's go. Now you see what I mean when I say Abraham has some kind of crazy faith, the kind of faith that kind of make you wonder, Abraham, what's up with you? But if you read the scripture, it says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham had such faith in God that he believed. He held on to the promise that God had told him, right? The promise was, in you, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. So Abraham said, I'm holding on to this promise. So whatever happened between now and the promise, I'm good with that because I know God gave me a promise. The scripture says that Abraham believed that even if he would have sacrificed and murdered his son, that God was going to raise him back up. Why? Because God had made him a promise. Glory to God. God had made him a promise that... Abraham, I'm going to bless you. This is the promise seed. So Abraham didn't worry about it. He said, you know what? If, if God is telling me to kill him, now obviously he's going to raise him back up because God made me a promise. And the scripture says that God is not a man that he should lie, right? We all know that God doesn't lie about anything. So then you know what I'm going to do? Son, let's go. Wow. Look at verse number five. And Abraham said to this young man, stay here with the donkey. And the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, what, what, what did Abraham just say that? That's something, that's the insight. He says, he told, he told all his men, he said, here's what I want you to do. He, Abraham said to this young man, stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back. You see the kind of faith and trust that Abraham had in him? Abraham believed that no matter what, he said, I'm telling you all right now, I know God's telling me to sacrifice my son, but we'll be back. We'll, we'll be back because God made me a promise. I'm telling you right now, once you, you can read God's word and every promise in this word is true. Do you hear me? Whatever God has promised you through his word, believe it. Don't sit there and try to rationalize it. Just go ahead and do what God said do because the blessing is for you. Look at this. Verse number six. So Abraham, he took the wood and the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. My son would have been screaming. He, my son ain't even going up on the wood. I could tell Christian would be like, no, 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 I ain't. No, no, no. And, and, the, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. Wow. But Isaac spoke to his father. Now, now, now watch this. As you can see this boy's eyes, right? And I want you to imagine this. He says, uh, Daddy, uh, my father, uh, here I am, my son, Abraham said. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, <laughs> I know we're supposed to be offering some, but okay, where's the lamb? Abraham said, my son, watch this. Talking about some crazy faith. <laughs> where are we? I just lost my place. Verse 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went up together and they came to the place of which God had told him. Obedience. See, radical trust in God. 
And Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Now, just in case you were wondering, Abraham was about to drive that knife in his son. This wasn't, Abraham was serious. They had, the angel had to stop him. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Abraham, hold, hold up, hold up. This brother has some crazy faith. In verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on your lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, my son. He said, I'm sorry, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. Watch this. Look at verse 17. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as uh, as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the blessing. Look at this. When you decide that in your mind, you say, here's, here's what you got to say. When you and I decide that we're going to obey God, and we're going to trust God and do exactly what God say. Every time that we obey God, we position ourselves to be blessed. We all agree with that. He said, Abraham, when Abraham, he said, Abraham, because you were willing to give to me the thing that was most important to you, I am going to multiply you. You can almost see, and how many know that you cannot, and we said, we said all the time, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a real nice way of saying that God owns everything. And God says, Abraham, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Why, Abraham? Because you demonstrated total and complete trust in my word. Abraham, you did exactly what I told you to do. And because you did that, you can expect the blessing of God in your life. You see, this whole, you see the two differences. Sarah said, Abraham, honey, we need to go make something happen because God obviously is taking too long. <laughs> I mean, we're going to make this happen. But Abraham just flowed. And whatever God said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Don't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. And I, I mean, get this in your spirit. Get this in your soul. I'm going to do what God says. Whatever I read in God's word, if God's word say this is what I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. Don't argue with the word of God because you shortchange yourself. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You know, acknowledging him is a little bit more than saying, God, bless me with this thing, I pray. Amen. Lord, bless this assignment or this thing I'm about to do. Amen. You know, acknowledge him means that you include God in on the decision-making process. That means whatever it is that you decide to do, particularly anything that's a major, that you just haven't come to that decision 
and just said, okay, I'm going to run with this. But you've actually asked God, God, is, is this consistent with what you want for my life? When I acknowledge God, that means that God sits down at the table with me, all right? And I talk it over with God. Is this what he wants me to do? And he says, so in all of your ways, acknowledge me. In other words, in other words, in, include me in on what you're doing. Why is it sometimes that people don't want to include God in on what they're doing? Why do you think? They're afraid they're going to say no. What are you going to say? Not doing right, right? So we don't want to include God. You want to say something? Yeah, we won't control ourselves. Absolutely. Whatever the reason, I mean, there's a whole lot of different reasons why people, they will, they will not let God in on what they're doing. But the promise is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he said, I'll direct your path. But we're scared to do that. Because that means that, you know, I got to give up the one thing that I like. Control. Remember Janet Jackson had that song many years ago? You know what I'm talking about, brother? I'm what? I'm in what? Control? It was right around the time when she was like 18 and 19 years old, and she broke out. I'm free. I'm in control. You know? That's how many of us are. I'm in control. And God said, no, no, you ain't in control. Because all of us like to be in control. We like to be able to decide to do things when we want to do them. And we only check up on God when we want God to kind of acquiesce to what it is that we want, or when we really, really, really get in real bad trouble, that's when we come to God. But you know, mature Christians don't do that. Let me tell you, mature believers, you know what they do? They seek God way ahead of time, and they make that a daily regimen. You know, we need to come to a place in God that we're walking with God every day. Every day, we're talking with God about what we're doing. Every single day, we don't just wait till we're in a crisis to see God. But we're saying, God, I want you, Lord, Lord, this is what I'm thinking about doing. But, God, I don't know if this is what you want for my life. So, Lord, will you please show me? And if it's not, God, then close the door. And some doors we don't want God to close. <laughs> it's like, I ain't going to pray God close that door. And, I, you know, and I've come to learn as Christians in my years of walking with God, we can manipulate things and make things be whatever it is that we want them to be. If we want God to say yes to us, we can make sure we can fix it so God to say yes, even if God is saying no. Well, the Lord told me. Did he tell you that? Well, I was praying that this is what I felt like God told me. Really? How, how, did, how did God tell you that? I just feel it. Okay, I'm not, that's, all, that's between you and God. I'm just saying, I find that when people really want to do what they really want to do, they're going to do it no matter what. But the one, the one that, are, that is really mature would say, who's really growing and trying to understand God's will would say, okay, Lord, this is great, but can I, should I? It's just what you want. When you come to that point, now you know you're, you're, you're taking it to another level. Now you're developing that kind of Abraham kind of faith where you're just saying, okay, God, I'm willing to trust you and give it all over to you. 
even if it means it's going to hurt me a little bit. Hurt me meaning I may have to suffer a little bit. Because sometimes God requires things of us that is painful because our flesh wants what it wants. But when we say we're going to trust God, that means that we're, not long, we're no longer in control anymore. The difference between a mature Christian and one who's a baby is one stays in control. The one that's mature, he relinquishes control to God. That is the difference. Finally, he said he will direct your path. You know, I studied a word, a Hebrew word for direct is yashar. It means to make straight, right, and upright. Here's, God, here's the promise. God is saying that if you acknowledge me in all of your ways, and you trust in me with all of your heart, that you just give over everything to me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your path straight. In other words, I'm going to straighten up the crooked places. I'm going to, I'm going to point you in the direction that you should go. You know, the Bible says the good steps the good steps of a righteous man is ordered by the Lord. God is saying, I will make your path straight. In other words, God is saying, I will make a way for you when you decide to trust me with all your heart, relinquish the control to me. He said, I will make your path straight. I will remove the confusion. I will show you a clear pathway to what it is that I want you to do. How many of you want that in your life? I mean, you really want God. You really want it so that God directs you and, and, and that God leads you. And, and that there's no greater feeling, I believe, for the believer than to know that you're right in the center of God's will. I mean, think about it. What better feeling is there than to know that I'm doing and I'm, 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 I'm at the right place, doing the right things, exactly the way God wants me to do it. I am in the center of his will. There's no greater feeling than that. Jeremiah 29, 11, and I believe, I believe we have that scripture. It says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. This is God's heart toward his people. God Think good thoughts toward us. He wants to give us a future and a hope. That means, very simply put, God already has a plan for your life. He already has a plan for you. Here's the thing what we got to do is be willing to submit and trust him so that he can bring it to pass as he see fit to do it. But but it, it requires, in order for us to be able to enter in, it requires for us to completely relinquish control to him. And we'll experience God's best. Because he already have a plan for us. When he saved you, he did not save you to just save you. He saved you with a purpose. He saved you with a plan. And we should strive to achieve and accomplish what he set out for us to do. Every head is bowed. Every eye.